Hey everyone, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. If you wish to know more about us, please visit our website at newmarketalliance.ca. As the COVID pandemic comes to an end, we encourage you to come check us out in person if you can. No matter how good a podcast is, being in the company of people and experiencing the community of our church is much better. At NAC, we meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You can expect free coffee, tea, snacks, a warm smile, and a friendly face. And with that, let's go ahead and listen to this week's sermon. You, you want to bet that this, the, the day that came out about six weeks ago, there was a thousand pastors across North America who on Sunday or on social media were like, see guys, I told you that story was true about Jonah. And that might be the wrong uh, takeaway from this short book called Jonah. Uh, the book is not about the fish, okay? Uh, the, the entire book gives two verses about the fish, even though those are kind of the two verses we're going to focus on this morning. But if I were preaching a book study on Jonah, uh, you'd see that the story is about something even arguably more interesting than being swallowed by a great fish. It's about racial and religious prejudice, about how religious folks can get mad uh, at, at God for being too forgiving, uh, too gracious. It's, a, it's about hoarding our good news. And uh, I, I didn't want to go down a rabbit trail, especially to start uh, a message. But, you know, many conservative biblical scholars, um, we're talking orthodox interpreters, actually believe that the book of Jonah is more of a poem or a parable or uh, even satirical. And that statement alone probably is rubbing some people the wrong way. For what it's worth, you know, I, I personally believe this is a literal historical account, but it's also not the litmus test for whether you believe that the Bible can be trusted or whether, you, you know, whether you're truly orthodox or not. Because you know, the, the Bible is full of all kinds of genres, right? Um, it's, it's not a single genre. It's a, it's a biblio Bible, it means library, 66 books in one, and some of them are poems, and some of them are allegory, and some are prophecy and personal letters. There's even a hot and steamy romantic letter in there, and uh, books of history and the law. It turns out that good biblical scholars are kind of divided on what genre this story is. All those interpretations, though, are, are, are within the realm of orthodoxy. I mean, like, if you, if you don't think God could miraculously orchestrate a giant fish to swallow a dude for three days, uh, if you can't believe that, you're going to have a real problem with a savior who was crucified and then resurrected three days later, you know? If the story of Jonah, uh, is it more miraculous than a, a virgin birth? Uh, is it more miraculous than creating the vastness of the universe with, but a, with a word? Um, is it more miraculous than a God who can transform our minds and our hearts, give us love when it feels like we have no love to give? I mean, that might be the greatest miracle of all. Our God is in the miracle business in 2021 as well. But I assure you the point of Jonah is not to prove that there really are 
giant fish um, that humans can live in for three days. It's not answering that question that people aren't asking. People are asking questions, though, like, um, what happens when I reach rock bottom? Will God still be there? Uh, is it ever too late to really change? Um, does God have a good plan for me? Does God really forgive? I mean, really forgive? If you focus on the whales and the genres, you may miss the point that God is always up to something great. And if you've been raised in the church, or maybe even if you haven't, you probably know the story. Or, you know, actually you probably think you know the story. Often we really don't. If you ask the average person about the book of Jonah, they'd be like, I, what's well, a story about Jonah and a whale, and, um, and they're pretty sure that the whale's name is Moby Dick, and uh, Jonah's running away from Geppetto because he wants to be a real boy, and Jiminy Cricket is in there somewhere. Um, so let's get a few facts straight, first of all. First of all, Jonah is absolutely 100% a real-life historical figure. He, he lived and breathed and walked the earth. That's, that's indisputed. Um, and if you've actually read this short four-chapter book, you realize that Jonah, even though he's a prophet of God, he's kind of a jerk. He, he's not the hero of this story. He treats people really bad, and he's rebellious, and he ends up mad at God, and, and, he, and doesn't forgive people, and he's kind of sulky. And uh, at the beginning of the story, here's what it says. It says, the word of God comes to Jonah, okay? So that's what happens to prophets. It tells them to go to the city of Nineveh, tell people about God's love for them. And for various reasons, Jonah refuses. That's, that's not what a prophet usually does. So he gets on a ship that's going literally the opposite direction. In fact, um, as far in the opposite direction as you could go in the known world. And God sends a storm, and the ship is going down, and the sailors don't know why exactly, but they know this passenger, Jonah, is the reason for the trouble they find themselves in. Now, let, let me just stop there for a second because it occurs to me that this might, um, this might be a little picture of sin and disobedience. Who is suffering right now as the result of Jonah's disobedience? Everyone else, it seems, because Jonah's oblivious. Turns out he is asleep down in, in the boat. And meanwhile, these sailors are throwing their cargo off the ship, their, their livelihood, they're fearing for their life. It's kind of a, a, a picture of sin and disobedience that has a ripple effect. You know, we have this mentality of, of independence where individuals, you know, they can sin if they want to, they're only hurting themselves. Ask the family of an alcoholic if it's only hurting themselves, right? So, so Jonah fesses up and says, yeah, I'm the cause of this. You're gonna have to throw me over the side. 
And interestingly, once the sailors do just that, the, the storm stops. And it says that they start worshiping the God of Israel. They're converted. So now instead of the boat sinking, it's Jonah who's sinking into the sea. I don't know if you've had any close encounters with drowning, but it's a real come to Jesus moment. And it says that the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he stays inside that fish for three days and three nights. The word appointed is interesting. It could be, it's, could be translated commissioned. Uh, it's a word a king would use if he were going to appoint an ambassador or, or a messenger. It's something you do to a person. We just commissioned uh, Denise, but, but in the book of Jonah, it's a fish that's being commissioned. So God, I, I picture, turns to this fish and says, hey, fish. And the fish is like, yes, Lord. And, and God says, go pick up Jonah. Uh, you know, next steps will be given on sort of a need-to-know basis. Fish, this is important, okay? Swallow, don't chew, okay? And the fish is like, okay, Lord. And God appoints the fish. Um, it's interesting to see the word choices in the book of Jonah. Certain words are repeated a lot, and uh, they keep reappearing throughout the text. One word that keeps coming up is the word great. Everything is great in Jonah. When Jonah runs the other way, the Bible sends a, a great wind, and it produces a great storm, and the pagan sailors are on this great ship, and they're converted through a great fear. Nineveh is called a great city, and um, you know, not because of its inherent goodness, but, but as a, more of a descriptor of its size and influence. Uh, great, great, great. Does anybody want to guess what adjective the Bible uses to describe the fish? Yeah, great. It's a great fish, and sure enough, God is doing something great in this story. Now, on the other hand, Jonah, our anti-hero, uh, messes everything up. And so the writer keeps repeating a word when Jonah's name uh, comes up, and that word is down. Jonah goes down to the port of Joppa. He hops on a ship that is going down to Tarshish. Uh, Jonah goes down into the bottom of the ship to sleep. When he's thrown overboard, he goes down into the stormy sea. And as we all know, soon he goes down into the fish. I think this wording is super intentional. You know, Jonah has hit rock bottom. Uh, in the mind of the Israelites, you can't get any lower than the sea. It is, it is a place of chaos and fear. It's a place of death. And so, so guess what Jonah does while he's in this fish, chapter two? He does what you would do and what I would do, whether you've ever done it before or not. He prays from the from the guts of a great fish, Jonah prays to the Lord. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah has hit rock bottom, okay? And from the guts of a fish, he is physically and emotionally uh, spent. And spiritually, he cries out, Lord, out of the depths 
of the grave I am calling to you. I'm gonna take an educated guess here. Um, a guess kind of based on my own life experiences as well. I bet Jonah had gone some time without praying, at least honestly praying to God. He'd received word from God to go to Nineveh, but he goes the opposite way. He disobeyed. He, he didn't pray about going to Joppa. He didn't pray about whether he should get on that ship or not. Do you, do you feel like praying after watching pornography? I mean, you know what's right. You know God has something better and pure for you, for those image bearers of God that you are inadvertently exploiting. Do you feel like praying after you've been a jerk to your spouse? You know, you felt a check in your spirit not to say that nasty thing, but you, you said it anyways, and then you said something even worse. Do you feel like praying after cheating on your taxes or um, ignoring a neighbor in need? Ah, but when the marriage is falling apart, when your conscience doesn't allow you to sleep, when the world is crashing in around you, when, when somebody in your family gets COVID, that's when we pray. You know, 12-step groups uh, and others, they use the term rock bottom, right? It, it's, it's a description of coming to the end of yourself. Um, and they say that's the place where you can truly begin to change because there's nothing left of your pride or your self-reliance or this illusion that you're in control and that you can fix yourself. I think rock bottom is a thing that God uses in his mercy more often than anything else. How many times at an altar uh, just like this, have I seen people who were so beat up by the world, had made such a mess of their lives, um, whether through their own choices or just the results of living in a sinful, broken world. And they came to the re realization, maybe for the first time, that they need a savior. They never thought they needed saving from anything before, but they hit rock bottom. And I suspect Jonah hadn't prayed for a while. And then he ends up in a fish. I mean, he's, he's living the definition of rock bottom. There's some good reasons to pray right now. Could I propose another reason? Um, and this is just Jonathan here, but here's another reason that he might have prayed. Could it be because he had nothing else to do? Um, and that's a little cheeky, but think about it. What else are you going to do for three days in a fish? Um, do you want to know why we often have such a hard time praying? It's because we have so many other things to do. We have so many distractions, so many screens, so many podcasts, so many noises that we introduce into our lives to avoid having to face what is going on in our spirits. We don't pray because we have so many options. When COVID started, for many of us, 
uh, we found ourselves with a little more time, not, not everyone, but many, even if it was, uh, you know, that you weren't commuting as much. Just, just show of hands, how many optimistically thought, I'm going to redeem this time, this cabin fever, and it's going to revitalize my prayer and devotion life? Anybody feel optimistic like, like me when this all started? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as easy as that, was it? Um, this is a real area of personal growth for me, of, of sanctification. I really, I struggle with this. I, I have a hard time putting down the book or the headphones or the phone. And, you know, I'd like you to try this summer just sitting on your deck or your dock and try an hour with no hobbies, no screens, no company, just you and God and your thoughts. And if you're not in the habit of that, it, it'll seem like an eternity. Now imagine three days. Well, here's Jonah, no candy crush on his phone, no books, no light, just him and his thoughts and his God. And he prays from the heart, maybe for the first time in a long time. The, the whole first chapter of Jonah is, is human action. It's, Jonah makes plans. Jonah has agency over his own life. Jonah buys the boat ticket. Jonah is going places but all his plans turn out disastrous. And the whole second chapter of Jonah, there's no action at all. It's just prayer. It's only when Jonah hits rock bottom that good things start to happen. Uh, maybe, maybe Jonah comes to realize that, that what looks so bad, hitting bottom, is actually the best thing that, that ever happened to him because it brought him back to God, to a God who does great things. Can I just encourage you with something? And even at the risk of sounding like a, like a cliche, at the risk of sounding trite, have you ever been in over your head in life? Pray. Uh, is it your own fault pray. Um, have you been maybe not living the life that God has called you to? Pray. Are you concerned that maybe even your motivation for prayer might be sort of mixed motivation, that, that maybe you're a bit concerned about your own well-being more than God's will? Yeah, our motives are going to be mixed. Pray anyways. Pray. God is never more than a prayer away. One of the amazing things about God is his graciousness. Heather talked about it. His unoffendableness, if that's even a word. When we come to him simply because we've hit rock bottom with no place to go, God would never say what I'm tempted to say. I told you so, right? He chooses to say, welcome home, pray. Well, what happens next in the story is so slapstick, so wonderfully ridiculous. I, I love that it's in the Bible because it kind of aligns with my eighth grade gross out sense of humor. Jonah does get delivered on the third day. 
The third day is big in Bible stories in general, okay? Jonah uh, 2.10 says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Is this like, is this TMI? Couldn't the English translators of the Bible choose a more dignified, churchier word than vomit? You know what? The original Hebrew word is even more graphic than the word vomit. It feels to me like the writer is hitting us over the head with the fact that Jonah wasn't, you know, dropped off by an angel. He wasn't, you know, raptured out of the whale and gently placed on the beach. The, the whale tossed his cookies. The, he lost its lunch. It took a ride on the regurgitron. It, uh, it hurled. It yacked. It blew chunks. It uh, did the technicolor yawn. It, it puked. It retched. It barfed. It ralphed. It upchucked. Folks, I can do this all day. I, I'm a man-child. Um, and because of this lumpy burp, uh, Jonah ends up on the shore. He's not a heroic figure covered in the glory of God. He's a ridiculous figure covered with shrimp cocktail and plankton tartare or whatever giant fish eat. And He's no hero. When God tells him to go east, he, he goes west. The prophet ought to know better. In Israel's eyes, uh, Jonah's predicament was as bad as it could get, but it turns out that many times when it feels like it can't get darker and you've come to the end of yourself, maybe even literally or figuratively covered in whale puke, God is about to do something great, something miraculous, something that even redeems your bad choices or your tragic circumstances that that were not your fault. The story of Jonah is also like a lot of the other stories that we're going to talk about this summer. It's like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like the story of Joseph and Hagar, where there is another character not mentioned, but is, is in every other line, or between the lines, maybe. Uh, not mentioned by name, but hovering in the margin for those of us who have eyes to see. Jo- Jonah, we're told, is from a town called gath Heifer, which is just around the corner from a place called Nazareth. Does anybody remember another prophet who was from Nazareth? Jonah is asleep on a boat in a storm while everybody else on the boat panics. And when they wake up, the storm is stilled by his actions. Does anybody else remember anybody else in the Bible who, who that reminds you of? Jonah Jonah's name means the dove, or uh, it could also mean given to a beloved one. Does anybody know of somebody who went down into the water, came up out of the water, and a dove descended, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved? Toward the end of his life, Jesus said, he had one sign to give this world, and he called it the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale or the huge fish, Jesus said, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's that three days again. 
the message of Jonah is just, I think, a little foretaste uh, of our real hero. It's a little foretaste of the victory uh, that Jesus will come with. A Jesus who, who meets us in the lowest places, telling us that death loses, that sin loses, that sorrow loses, that depression loses, COVID loses, and joy wins. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? God gets the last laugh. That's the story of Jonah. Consider this as I, as I start to wrap up here. Do you know that um, in the early church, because of persecution, worshipers would meet in a place uh, called catacombs. Um, actually, Byron and uh, Linda um, Hearn, and I think Keith West, and maybe Elizabeth, I think, were part of a Toronto spiritual revival in the 70s, and uh, it was a church that was called the Catacombs. I don't know if anybody is old enough to remember the Catacombs, yeah, yeah. Well, did you go mine? No, but you were around at that time. Well, um, this is based on the first century church. Where the catacombs were tombs, uh, underground burial places. It doesn't seem very seeker sensitive. Uh, it's, a, it's not a great place to try and grow a church, but they had to do it because of persecution. They had to be hidden. You've heard of the, uh, the phrase, the underground church. This is where that came from. Uh, uh, the, now, the first art inspired by Jesus was not first in cathedrals or great places of beauty. It was actually etched on the walls of the tombs of these catacombs. And which Old Testament figure is found etched on the walls of the catacombs more than anybody else from the Old Testament? Not Moses, the lawgiver, not, not David, the great king, not Abraham, the father of Israel. It's Jonah. He was everywhere on those walls because I think they made the connection. They knew that deliverance was coming, that resurrection was coming, that the third day was coming. They knew that Jesus was all over the book of Jonah. Can I tell you something, church? The hope that Jonah found is our hope too. What if when the dead in Christ shall rise and when disease is forever beaten, when aging ceases, when cancer and heart disease and dementia and AIDS and pandemics are all a thing of the past, when we go down the way of the grave that we all will and come back out the other side, what if on that day, life is so good, our healing and redemption is so complete our bodies so wonderful. The community of the saints is so rich. Our fellowship with Jesus is so sweet that we look at each other and we say, this is what I was afraid of. I thought death was gonna be awful. I thought 
this was going to be hard. It's, it's nothing. It's a joke. It has no power before God. Jonah hits rock bottom, and even there, God is greater. God is greater. Some of you have had your own Jonah moments. There are Jonahs at Knack. I think of someone at Knack who's had an insanely unfair marriage experience, some insanely unfair church experiences, some depths of hurt and pain. She could easily have become bitter. She's one of the great evangelists in our church body, one of the great advocates and servants of a marginalized community, one of the great prayer warriors at our church. Her life has been saved, yes, but not only that, in God's graciousness and joy in sticking it to Satan, her impact on others has been immeasurable. I know a Jonah at Knack whose life was about as low and as hopeless as it could get, a survivor of sexual exploitation and trafficking, exposed to the very worst that humanity has to offer. Jesus pursued her, transformed her, um, called her to be a Jonah to the Nineveh, that is York region, and beyond, rescuing and discipling exploited, trafficked workers. And her ministry impact has never been larger, reaching the schools and the provinces and the country. Her life is saved, yes, but through Jesus, working in her and through her, many are saved. Satan is furious, and Jesus laughs with joy at how another Jonah is used for God's glory. There's another Jonah at Knack who was raised in a bit of a, a rough, uh, by his own admission, maybe dysfunctional household. Probably would have been the last person voted as future minister. He had what could have been a life-ending accident. He went on to use this rock bottom, this uh, proverbially being thrown into the sea. He used it as experience to be a source of comfort and hope to those who are in their own trials. And his impact through God's grace has been far and wide. And today, he's going through a different kind of rock bottom. And, uh, and maybe at the real lowest point of his life, by no fault of his own. And I still believe that Jesus, the hero of his story, is going to do something greater than we even imagine. And then there's a Jonah like me, uh, raised in the church, but coming to the point of wanting nothing to do with it. The thought of pastoring at that time seemed just abhorrent. What was God supposed to do with some partying, potty-mouthed, dope-smoking cynic anyway, especially one who couldn't muster any of that phony baloney, happy, happy, joy, joy Christianity. Someone who had rock-bottom depression. Like when Jonah says to God, you hurled me into the deep. That's how I felt. And as it turns out, it's in the deep 
where God was and continues to be. And he miraculously uses a guy like me to further his kingdom in ways that are humbling and would almost be comedic if it weren't true. Oh man, there is Jonah's in this church. Story of Jonah, what ends up looking like a tragedy ends up being a comedy. And that's, that's your life too, if you want it to be. Jesus says, if, if you'll let me, I'll meet you at the cross, I'll meet you at the tomb. The third day is coming if you'll meet me. What a glorious day it will be. We need to celebrate that there's some Jonas who have defeated the depths of rock bottom. Will you stand with us as we